Welcome to Sunday School for Heathens. The show where we learn about Christianity and how weird it sounds to everyone else. I'm Shannon. And I'm Brian. I am not a priest and I do not have a degree in theology. I'm just the kind of guy who gets Facebook invites to ordinations. It's true. I got a notification that you got a notification about an ordination. Yeah, it's very exciting. Yeah. Very happy for Andrew. I unfortunately can probably not make it to his ordination because I will be at a baseball game. This is the most Brian problem. It is. And it so it's not like it's just an in-town baseball game. I would scrap that for ordination. Me and my dad made plans to go to Baltimore to see an Indians-Orioles game. Amazing. Yeah. Speaking of the Orioles, our Facebook page, which is new, has a great discussion on it about why Corey is an Orioles fan. Yeah, I'll let you all go there and find out there instead of spoiling it here. Yeah, you should check out our Facebook page, at School for Heathens on Facebook, and find the post from our favorite Griffin about why Corey is an Orioles fan. Yep. Thanks for that setup. Appreciate it. <laughs> I do what I can. All right, so you told me that you had something strange planned for today. I do have something strange planned. And I'm excited. What is it? Today, we're going to talk about stylites. I don't even know what that is. Great. I'm not going to explain it to you yet. Okay. <laughs> we're just going to jump straight into a story. Okay. Um, I do love a good story. Okay, let's start with the biblical basis. Got it. There is no biblical basis. Great. <laughs> so no Bible stories today. No, nothing at all. We're just going to start talking about this guy. Okay. What's this guy's name? Simeon. Simeon. Simeon the Stylite. Simeon the Stylite. Can you spell Stylite for me? Uh, sure. It's uh, S-T-Y-L-I-T-E. Okay. Stylite. Yep. Simeon, born in 390 CE in Sicilia. Near modern Aleppo. So okay. in, we're in Syria. Great. So, I know where that is. Yeah. <laughs> so he began his life as a shepherd boy, and he was about 13 when he was first introduced to Christianity. A priest had come to his village to preach on the Beatitudes. So tangential Bible we're getting in here. Okay. Uh, the Beatitudes, they're a set of Jesus's teachings from the Sermon on the Mount. Okay. We talked about that last time. We did. That's Gospel of Matthew. Mm-hmm. Beatitudes, there's eight Beatitudes, and they're all structured. Blessed are the blank, for they will blank. Okay. You might have heard that before. That does sound like a structure that seems sort of familiar. Simeon was struck by this sermon, and he immediately converted to Christianity. Of course, because that's how this went. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. He was also 13. Yeah. Very impressionable. Good for him. One Beatitude in particular that stuck out to Simeon was, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Okay. So seeing God seems like a thing you might want to do if you're 13. Yeah, sounds neat. Yeah, for sure. So he asked how he could be pure in heart so that he could see God. The priest who was there preaching told him that joining a monastery would be a good start. Great. So he did that. Cool. He went off right then, joined a monastery. And they let a 13-year-old boy just like roll in from nowhere and join? Well, they let him go and study there. He didn't actually become a monk until he turned like 18. Okay, that makes more sense. Once he got to this monastery, he did not slow his roll. Of course. <laughs> All the enthusiasm of a teenage boy. Oh, yeah. He gave himself up to the practice of an austerity so extreme and to all appearances so extravagant that his brethren judged him, perhaps not unwisely, to be unsuited to any form of community life. Oh, God. So he's really, he's so into God that he should not be around people. And not just so into God, so into austerity. I like the idea of <laughs> extravagant austerity. 
that his austerity is so extravagant that he's just the most extra. Yeah, he's just, they're like, you're you're not going to eat at all? I assume this means <laughs> that, like, limited eating, limited sleeping, like, self-flagellation, like, the whole nine yards. Yeah, like, all, all of that. I don't have any specifics that there was any self-flagellation involved, but the not eating, not sleeping... Praying all the time. Praying all the time. Yeah, th- those kind of things. No personal possessions. Definitely. Probably a hair shirt. I was Everyone about to ask if shirt. there was a hair shirt. <laughs> <laughs> we got to do an episode on hair shirts one of these days. So the uh, Igumen, which is another word for abbot, it's like the Eastern Church version of an abbot. Okay. Gave him an ultimatum, either ease up or get out. <laughs> wow. That's a, quite a thing to be told by the abbot. <laughs> So, so does he get out? So he left. <laughs> of course. <laughs> and he became a hermit. Yeah, that sounds about right. He lived in a nearby abandoned well in the mountains for the next year and a half. Inside a well? Yeah. This reminds me of who was the Italian saint we did who lived in a cave. You know which one I'm talking about. I, yes. I pull it up. But I'd, I'd have to look. <laughs> he reminds, those two guys would either really get along or really hate each other. Not sure which one it would be yet. I don't know. Do groups of hermits ever get along? Isn't the whole thing? Yeah, Being but I guess they're all, like, dedicated to the same amount of, like, fanatical religion. They might kind of get along. Maybe. Okay, so he's living in a well. Living in a well. There he could live as austerely as he wanted and nobody could bug him. Yes, correct. He's living inside a well. Then one day, an angel came to the Igumen of his old monastery in a dream and said that they needed to get Simeon back. Okay. So he came back, but only for a short time. One source I had said that he was at the monastery for 10 years total. I think this includes the year and a half break. So his second stint at the monastery was about three and a half years, we'll say. Okay. So he comes back. Comes back for a few years, then I guess gets sick of it again. Sure. And goes out to the desert to live as a hermit again. But he did get permission to leave. Okay. (laughs) So if he was 13, then he went to the monastery. He's like 23 and in his second stint of hermitude. I guess, yeah. Something like that. He's in his mid-20s. Yeah. Now he is no longer living in a well. He moves to a cave. Great. That feels like an upgrade. Yeah, probably. Yeah. The cave is near Tel Neshjin. Okay. We're still vaguely in Syria. Yeah. During his time in this cave, he got into even more austere practices. How much more austere can you get? (laughs) This was the first time where he fasted from all food and water during all of Lent. You can do that? It's considered a miracle that he survived. Okay, that makes more (laughs) sense. (laughs) Not recommended. Yes. But he made this his practice every year from then on. Of course. And then, because this was not enough, he added constant standing to his Lenten observance. Constant standing. Yeah, he stood for 20 days straight, and then for the next 20, he sat upright. But why? To show how prayerful he was. I guess I don't think how was... committed to God. I mean, I guess committed to something. But he was constantly praying this whole time. Okay. Like, wasn't sleeping, standing upright. Praying. Yeah. Great. Uh, Then he felt a call from God to give up movement entirely. All right. So he built a round enclosure, and he shackled his leg to a chain fastened to a pole in the middle of it so that he couldn't leave. All right. He's built himself his own trap. Yes. And the bishop of Antioch heard about this and ordered him to remove the chain. (laughs) Okay. Why? (laughs) Because this is too much, I guess. He can stay inside his weird circle hut? Yeah. Um, And now is he committed to not moving vertically or horizontally now? 
Oh, we'll get into vertically, don't you worry. Oh, great. <laughs> but at this moment, is he vor- vertical or horizontal? He is just kind of keeping himself in a limited area. Okay, so it's not like stillness as much as it is not traveling. I think so, yeah. Okay. And I think that's a way to show his devotion. Sure. If this is how he wants to do that, yeah, that's the way he's going to do it. So that's what we're doing. He complied with the Bishop of Antioch and removed the chain from his leg, but was still... Living out in the desert. Doing things. Yeah. Now, had he taken holy orders at this point? Or was he just a guy who had been educated in a monastery? I don't know. Okay. I'm not sure if he was ordained or not. Great. He was just a guy. Yeah. Monk doesn't necessarily mean that he was, but I don't know. Okay. So he's out in the desert. His fame grew as his practices got more and more over the top. I'm sure. So people come to watch him? Yeah. Not move and pray and not eat? Yeah, I guess. Great. And he also gained a reputation as someone that you could ask for advice from. Uh, He would pray for you. He would preach to people. Okay, so he's also, like, talking and living and, like, having opinions. Yeah, you just have to come to him. He won't come to you. Well, of course not. He's not moving. (laughs) But he's not just, like, repeating the same verses from the Bible over and over again. Right. Ad infinitum. Though he did, uh, one of the things he learned at the monastery is he memorized all of the psalms. I figured that there was a lot of memorization happening at this point. But in particular, they called that out very impressive. Very quickly, he learned all of the psalms. I mean, good for him. Yeah. Cool. But he's there to just sort of, like, be a person you can talk to and also not move. Yeah. He mostly just wanted to be out alone in quiet prayer. The people just kept coming and he... Dealt with them as he did. Yeah. (laughs) But he didn't, like, scream and throw things at them. No. That would not be pure of heart. Yeah. And his whole bit seems to be, be being pure of heart. <laughs> yeah, he, seem, he seems like an all right dude. Yeah, a little strange, but harmless. Yeah, so more and more people kept, were coming out to the desert, and he felt that all of these interruptions did not leave him enough time for his own devotions. Eventually he got so famous that people were snipping off bits of his clothes to save as relics. Because they knew he'd be a saint someday because he was just that cray. I, yeah, seems to be the case. Okay. <laughs> I feel like we're doing both the episode and the patronage pop quiz in one right now. I mean, we've got another long state at the end of this, I already told you. So I know. This is just going to be a lot of that today. I like it. Tell me about all <laughs> these crazy people in religious history. But don't worry, the, the saint that we're going to talk about later on is a lady because I felt like we need balance. I like that. I appreciate it. But everyone's <laughs> taking relics that are not even relics yet because he's not even a saint yet? Pretty much, yeah. So he got fed up with this. And he decided to invent a new type of asceticism. Oh, great. (laughs) What does he do this time? In about 423, he ordered a six-foot-tall pillar to be built. Okay. And it was like three feet in diameter. Okay. And then he climbed up on the pillar. And he sat at the top of it. And he lived there. Did he sit? Sometimes he sat. Okay, sometimes he stood. Mostly he stood. Okay. Sometimes he sat. At the top of a pillar. Yes. Great. So this is what a stylite is. Is a guy who stands on top of a pillar? A Christian ascetic who lives at the top of a pillar. Amazing. <laughs> it comes from the Greek word for pillar, stylos. Of course. This is wild. <laughs> and we've covered a saint who once walled herself inside a building. Uh-huh. <laughs> I guess, like, anchors and anchresses didn't exist yet, so he couldn't just wall himself up inside a building yet. Yeah, I don't know. But this was his solution. Was to live on top of a pillar. Yeah. Because this is really early Christianity still. Pretty early. Yeah, yeah. We're 5th century. Yeah. So he's he's doing it up. Starting yeah. some stuff. I mean, monasteries existed. That's he, true. He lived at one. 
for a while. Yeah. And then he lived on top of a pillar. <laughs> Over the years, he replaced his pillar with taller and taller pillars, eventually ending up on top of a pillar somewhere between 50 and 80 feet tall. That's really tall. It's a very tall pillar. Also, if he barely eats, how was he strong enough to climb a 50 to 80 foot pillar? Or did he like also build a ladder and then knock it down away from him once he got up there? There was a ladder that was... Th- okay. I don't know if it was constantly leaning up against the pillar, because sometimes people would visit him. Yes, or like bring him food or whatever. Because yeah. he probably... His probably his whole bit was like, I will only eat if you bring it to me. Yes. So somebody had to be willing to climb a 50-foot ladder to yes. get to the top of his pillar. And they did. He also wrote a lot of letters, so people visited him to deliver his letters. Great. I feel sorry for his mailman. <laughs> I mean, they, they were into it. I just imagine that it's just paper airplanes, that he's just like <laughs> sending paper airplanes down off his pillar. <laughs> and they all just like have like bits of holy wisdom in them. <laughs> That seems, like, too much fun for him. Maybe, but it would be very efficient in a way that I think he would appreciate. Like, you wouldn't need the excess of envelopes. Maybe, but I th- I feel like he wants his followers to have the experience of climbing the pillar. Sure. I can see to, that. To, like, though. build their character. Okay. <laughs> see, now we're getting into that, uh, that thing in Mulan where she has to get to the arrow on top of the post. Oh, yeah, that's exactly what's happening. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, but clearly if stylites are a thing, that means that he wasn't the last stylite. Yeah, but we're gonna we're gonna keep doing this story because okay. we're not we're not gonna end here with him. Okay, I gotta figure out more of what he does. <laughs> His idea for living on this pillar was that he was moving vertically towards heaven instead of horizontally along the earth. Okay. So that's why he lived on a pillar. And was he building his own higher and higher pillars? I believe other people, like his followers, were building the pillars. And so he didn't, didn't have to, like, live off of the pillar while he built a new pillar. He could, like, right. stay on his one pillar while Pillar 2 got built. Yes. And as far as I can tell, he never left the pillar except, I guess, when climbing to the next pillar. Sure. There Zip line. A, yeah. Zip Ooh. line. Well, he's going up because the pillars keep getting taller. Oh, yeah. Tight wire. Something like that. Yeah. Sure. <laughs> so. So he's getting closer to heaven. Yeah. There was a little railing around the top of the pillar. Smart. Uh, to keep him from falling, mostly yeah. when he was sleeping. He only had room to stand or sit. He couldn't. He didn't have enough room to lie down yes. on top of his pillar. Cool. But on lax occasions, he would lean against the railing while sleeping. On lax occasions? Oh, wow. <laughs> he probably was not happy with himself after that. Probably not. There was also no roof on top of this pillar. Of course not. And so he was exposed to the elements. Mm-hmm. Uh, at the beginning of his time on the pillar, he had a stake up there in the middle that he would tie himself to to help him stay upright for the entirety of Lent. But eventually he gave up this luxury. He had to do it himself. <laughs> like, and very important luxuries like stakes. Yes. And rope. Yes. Sometimes they would lean a ladder up against the pillar, especially when he got to the taller ones. Yeah. This was so people could bring him food and water and also to deliver his letters. And so that people making pilgrimages could go up and talk with him. Sure. I think he probably also liked this because he was higher up than when he was in the desert, so he could ignore the people that he wanted to. Yeah. And be quiet and pray. And probably only one person can visit at a time if you have to climb a very tall ladder to get there. Exactly. But is he on a pillar in the desert? Yes. Okay. So he's still in the desert. Yes. He's just quieter in the desert because he's higher up. Well, I think he's closer to Antioch at this point. Okay. He's moved civilization adjacent. Yeah. So he's not on a pillar in the middle of nowhere. No, he's not in the middle of nowhere anymore. But it's the desert as in he is still in an arid climate. Yes. (laughs) I mean, yes, he's still in 
Syria-ish. He would go out to preach like twice a day, and his preaching was described as gentle, practical, and brief. Great. And by go out, you mean he left the pillar? No. I guess like lean over the pillar. Okay. He would, he would connect with the people below him. Yeah. No, he, he was not moving much. He had a three-foot circle. Was, yeah. That's like just barely lo- wider than this table. Yes. That's, yeah. very, that's very helpful for people listening. But for me. <laughs> for me, it's like this table. Yes. <laughs> Woof. <laughs> it is small. Yeah. He was able to convert a lot of people, though. With sure. his preaching. But most of the time when he was not preaching, he was standing still in silent prayer or bowing. One witness tried to count how many times he bowed, and he stopped counting after 1,244. It's <laughs> <laughs> a lot. It's a lot of bowing. My body hurts <laughs> thinking about this. I mean, it was his only exercise. True, but like... You bow that many times and, like, all the back muscles in your body, like, your glutes and your hamstrings and your calves and also your actual back are going to just be not happy. Okay, but do you think he had a six-pack? I mean, probably, but only because he had no body fat because he wasn't eating. <laughs> and also he was, like, working that core. I guess. <laughs> but I think the six-pack had less to do with the work he was doing and more with the lack of food he was consuming. You know, a little column A, a little column B. Sure. Whatever. I highly doubt this guy was swole. <laughs> I lo- now I like to imagine he is. Okay. So he also, while up on his pillar, had some very famous visitors. One was Patriarch Dominos II of Antioch, who visited him and celebrated divine liturgy on the pillar. Adorable. Yeah. <laughs> Another was Roman Emperor Theodosius II and his wife, Empress Eudocia. Um, they once visited him to seek advice. Great. And then another Roman emperor, Leo, didn't actually visit, but he did write to Simeon often, and Simeon was the one to convince him to go along with the council of Chalcedon to reject the monophysite heresy. Sure, whatever that means. Do you remember which one that one is? Which one that particular heresy is? Yeah. No. Come on, context clues. Monophysite. I mean, one something. Mm Mm-hmm. I don't know if I think physite. We've just talked about multiple heresies on this. (laughs) This is denying the dual nature of Christ. Oh, yes. There we go. So mono, you know, I'm saying yeah. he only is... He's either. only one. Yeah. I just kept wanting to be like, does it have to do with something opposed to three? But, like, that doesn't make any sense, because, like, if he's going along with it, my brain couldn't get there. All right. <laughs> okay, but Simeon was the guy who was like, no, let him be both holy and not holy at the same time. Human and divine. Yeah, human and divine. You know what I mean. That's what I meant. <laughs> He's still holy even when he's human, but yeah, let him be divine and also a guy. <laughs> there were also many bishops and monks who visited him. I'm sure. One time, the bishops wanted to test him to determine whether this was really God's will or if he was just showing off. Okay, that's fair. <laughs> so they commanded him to come down. If he obeyed, it showed humility and it meant that he was really doing what God wanted. If he didn't, then they were going to drag him down from the pillar. Oof. So when they asked, he started to come down. They saw that he was willing to be completely obedient, so they stopped him and told him that he could stay up there. And then they all prayed that God would continue to be his helper. Adorable. (laughs) How sweet. Another time, Emperor Theodosius uh, heard that he was sick and sent three bishops to ask him to come down, but no for real this time, and allow himself to be treated by doctors. He refused, saying he preferred to leave the cure in God's hands. 
and he recovered. Good for him. I can imagine that it is pretty easy to get sick living on top of a pillar. Yeah. There's a lot of, like, elements and things involved. Yeah, not 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 a great strategy. No. For health. Or a long life, probably. Yeah. How long did he last on the pillar? A long time. Wow. Uh, he was on the pillar for 47 years. What? <laughs> That's so long to live on a pillar! <laughs> yeah. And... Especially compared to a lot of these other stories from this time period, this one is considered more reputable than a lot of them. Interesting. Because one of his biographers was alive at the same time as him. Okay, that's fair. So that means that, like, someone was keeping track of what he was doing at the time it was happening, and it wasn't just, like, stories being told that eventually got written down. Yeah. And the pillar still exists, but we'll get to that. Oh my goodness. So a less good thing about our friend Simeon, he did not allow himself any female visitors. I mean, he had to be pure of heart. I guess. (laughs) He built a little, or he had built, I'm sure he didn't build this himself. Yes. A little wall in a circle around the base of the pillar. This was to keep crowds out generally so that Mm. they weren't crowding the the base. But specifically lady crowds? No, all crowds... Generally, but definitely no women were allowed within those walls. Okay. Because, like, if you were going to climb the pillar to, like, bring him food or bring him letters or just talk to him, you could go inside this wall, but women were not allowed to do that. So no women visited him atop his pillar. No women. This included his mother, Martha, who searched for him for years. (laughs) Well, that's because he literally walked off of the job and into a monastery when he was 13. Yeah. Yeah. She eventually found him. On top of a pillar. Yeah. Many years later. And he refused to see her, saying, If we are worthy, we shall see one another in the life to come. Ugh. <laughs> and you have to imagine his mom was pissed. Oh, yeah. <laughs> she better be. <laughs> but she accepted it. And she stayed at the bottom of the pillar, outside the wall, in silent prayer until she died. Oh, my God. That's heartbreaking. And then Simeon asked that his mother's coffin be brought to him. It did not occur to me until this moment, but I have no idea how they did that. Carefully. (laughs) Very carefully. Up the ladder with the coffin. Yeah. (laughs) I assume it was two guys on two ladders, one with each end of a coffin. That's my guess. Maybe something like that. (laughs) Okay, but they brought the coffin all the way up the pillar? They brought the coffin up the pillar. The coffin is bigger than the pillar. Bigger than the base of the pillar. Yeah, I I don't know. And then... He wished her goodbye, and a smile appeared on her face. Cute. (laughs) You couldn't have done this when she was alive? Come on. (laughs) Uh, It's also said that after his mother's death, he offered uh, fervent prayers for her for the rest of his life. Okay. Too little too late, man. But yeah, the rest of his life being however many more years, total of 47 on the pillar. On the pillar. (laughs) Wow. They figured out he had died because his closest disciple, Anthony, noticed he had not preached in three days. Of course. <laughs> he went up and he found Simeon slumped over against the railing, appearing to have died in prayer. I mean, I guess he died doing what he loved. That's true, or something like that. Or what he felt destined to do. During his life, many images were made of him up on the pillar. So many that one source I was reading said that it might have led to an increase in icon worship in the 5th century. Huh. Interesting. Yeah. Antioch and Constantinople fought over his remains because they wanted to keep them as relics. Of course. They were eventually given to Antioch to protect the city because it didn't have outer walls. Interesting. 
Yeah. So they thought that the remains of Simeon would protect the city without walls. That was the idea. Okay. Relics, you know. Sometimes sure. They They're powerful. Do things. Yeah. So then Anthony built a monastery. The guy who found him dead. Yeah. His and really close follower of him. Yeah. Built a monastery in Antioch, and the remains of it are still there today. And the pillar is in the center of the monastery. The monastery. That makes sense. And it was listed as a UNESCO World Heritage Site in 2011. Oh, wow. Though in 2016, the pillar was damaged by a missile strike. Because we're in Syria. Because Syria. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Still there. Damaged. mm Mm-hmm. But. Yeah, I mean, I'm surprised that it's still standing. Yeah, it's, I mean, the top is not there. Like, you can see part Mm. of it. I can post some pictures when this episode comes out. Yeah. Because it's kind of cool. Oh, yeah, I want to see it. I just know that, like, a lot of specifically, like, early Christian stuff that exists in Syria has been not taken very good care of by the many people rolling in and out of Syria for over sure. the past three or four years, unfortunately. Yeah. When I read that in 2016, if there was that strike, I remembered that this was a big story and people were really concerned about this monastery. Yeah, I can imagine. So... Not our saint of the week, but do you want to guess his patronage? It's only one thing. Is it pillars? <laughs> no. <laughs> what is it? Think earlier in his life and dumber. Is it shepherds? It's shepherds. <laughs> he was a shepherd for 13 years and he lived on a pillar for 47. <laughs> yes. Also shepherds have like a gazillion patrons. They do. <laughs> Fine. I mean, if it makes you feel better. <laughs> So Simeon was not the only styling. I would hope not. <laughs> he inspired numerous other ascetics to go live on pillars. One of the first was Daniel, who was born in Syria, but set up his pillar in Constantinople. Okay. I just imagine this guy on a pillar, like, surrounded by city on all sides. You know, like, how wild that would be. He might have been. The urban stylite. Yeah, as far as I could tell, he was, like, in the city. Okay. Other famous stylites were Simeon the Younger, who lived near Antioch in the 6th century, St. Alpheus in the 7th century, near Adrianopolis, and he has the record for being on a pillar the longest. How long was he on the pillar? 67 years. My god! That's so much time on a pillar! Yeah. <laughs> Uh, another was St. Luke in the 10th century at Chalcedon, and then Lazarus in the 11th century near Ephesus. There were a bunch of others. We don't have all of their names, especially in the 5th and 6th centuries, and then again in the 10th century, there were a lot of them. They're just like big cities full of pillars with guys sleeping on the tops of them? Kind of. <laughs> weird. That's so weird. There were also some female stylites. I couldn't find any names. I really wanted to. And it they was... <laughs> did exist. Yeah, they, they existed. Every source I found said, there is evidence of female stylites. And then it, that was it. Great. Like, cool. <laughs> cool. Get back to me on that one. <laughs> Thanks, man. They're not getting back to me. The, no. My, my favorite source for stuff like this is the, it's called the Catholic Encyclopedia. It was written in like 1912. Oh, wow. It's so funny. <laughs> I can imagine. There were female stylites. There were lots of other stylites. It was considered an honor to have a stylite in your town. Sure. In some places, there would be two stylites within shouting distance of each other, and they would debate. Oh my god, I love that! (laughs) I love that so much! Just, like, two guys on pillars, like, 50 feet apart, just being like, I think this! 
<laughs> oh, I think this. Yeah, it, that image delights me to no end. Yes. <laughs> I just imagine a, like, arena of pillars, but it's just got all of them have guys <laughs> on top of them. And so Simeon was very much on a pillar, like what you're thinking of. Yes. But Stylites, their pillars aren't always that small. Okay. Like, there are some pillars where it was, like, big enough that you could have a little cottage on top okay, of Okay, so pillar. some of them were, like, little towers. Yeah. You were still just living your entire life on a pretty small area. Very high in the air. Very high in the air. Were they all high in the air? Yeah. But size ranged? The six-foot-tall pillar seems to have been a early-on Just Simeon thing. All of the others seem to have been much taller. Because, mm-hmm. yeah, six feet isn't that far. Yeah, it was mostly to keep him just out of reach so people would stop cutting off his clothes. Fair. (laughs) And I mean, I guess, like, if you're the first guy on a pillar, you can start with whatever size pillar you want. Yeah. No one's gonna be like, that's not an impressive pillar. Yeah. I wonder what the record for tallest pillar is. I don't know. I didn't didn't look too closely at the different heights. But that's adorable. (laughs) Another thing about this, it's mostly a, an eastern... Mm-hmm. Right practice. Yeah, it seems like a lot of Turkey, Syria. Yeah, for those sure. assorted locales. Uh, though in the sixth century, Saint Wilflacus, Wilflacus. Sure, we'll go, we'll go with that. A deacon near Arden tried to live on a pillar, but the church authorities made him get down. Why? Uh, they, I don't know. They didn't have time for that shit. Uh, <laughs> also, yes. probably the weather is a little more temperate in some of those eastern locations. Like, you don't want to be on a pillar in, like, England or somewhere where it's raining and maybe snowing a lot. That might be true. That would just be uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. Though, in the Russian Orthodox Church, this practice remained into the 15th century. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, and Russia is a long, cold place to be stuck on top of a pillar. Right. They're probably the ones with cottages. Yeah. Even more wild thing. As of 2017, mm-hmm. there was still one stylite. In Georgia, the country, not the state. Yes. <laughs> Living on Kachki Pillar. Oh my gosh, I love this. The pillar had been used as far back as the 6th century, but it was abandoned in the 15th century until it was explored in 1944 by a group of climbers who found the bones of the last stylite to live there. Okay. Then in 1993, Maxime Cavatarze. Sure. Cavatarze. Sure. I... Man, my mouth doesn't make those shapes. <laughs> <laughs> now he would be 65-year-old mm-hmm. uh, monk. He, he moved there in 1993. Okay. For the first two years, he slept in an old fridge to protect himself from the elements. Like a refrigerator? Yeah. Amazing. <laughs> <laughs> but now he has a little cottage up there. Okay. So I don't know how he got the fridge up there. I don't know. Somebody brought it to him. Start. He strapped it to his back and climbed the ladder. Yeah, that'd be wild. At, because it's a it's a hundred and thirty one foot iron ladder oh my God. to get up to the top. He climbs up and down twice a week to pray at the little monastery that's at the base of the pillar. Okay. And while he's down there, he gives guidance to young men who come to him for help. Supplies are delivered to him via wench. That makes sense. Yeah. Got a little a big crank. Yep. He said that when he's too frail to climb, he'll just stay on top of the pillar for the rest of his life. And he wants to be buried in the crypt that is underneath the chapel that is on top of the pillar. So there's a chapel. It's very small. But on top of this pillar, there is a crypt in addition to a cottage and a chapel. Yes. 
So he wants to be buried atop the pillar as opposed to below the pillar. Yes, he wants to stay on top of the pillar. Are there the bones of the last stylite also in there? Yes, they are. Good. I was hoping that he would want to be buried with another stylite. Yeah. That that was sort of the bit. And I'll end on a quote from Maxime. He said, When I was young, I drank, sold drugs, everything. When I ended up in prison, I knew it was time for a change. I used to drink with friends in the hills around here and look up at this place where land met sky. We knew the monks had lived up there before, and I felt great respect for them. I need the silence. It's up here in the silence that you can feel God's presence. That's so beautiful. Yeah, I liked it. I thought that was nice. I like that a lot. And you sort of better understand why someone would live on top of a pillar. I think especially when we're talking about Simeon, it's easy to just dismiss him as crazy. Yeah, a total weirdo. I think there is there is something to be said for silence and a life of prayer. Yeah, I think aestheticism is nice. Yeah. I think living on top of a pillar might, depending on the circumstances, be pushing it. <laughs> That's fair. Let me show you a picture of... Yeah, I was going to say, do we want to take our break and Google a bunch of pictures of stylites and then we'll come back for some fun? Yeah, we can do that. I have a bunch of pictures of Maxime's pillar in particular that Great. I can show you. Well, let's do that, and we'll meet you back in a little bit. And we're back. And now it is time for the Patronage Pop Quiz, where I tell Shannon about a saint, and she has to guess what they're the patron of. And it feels like we just did a really extended Patronage Pop Quiz, because I got that one wrong. We better tell another story. Yeah, I don't see you having better luck with this one, to be honest. You know what? That's fine. (laughs) Hit me with it. Today, we're talking about St. Francis of Rome. Okay. Uh, And this is Francis, the female spelling. C-E-S as opposed to... Yes. Great. Instead of, like, Francis of Assisi. Great. Lady Francis. Yeah, Lady Francis. And she was. She was born to a wealthy noble family in Rome in 1384. Let me guess. Her family tried to marry her off, and she devoted herself to God. Sort of. Great. I mean, you get the general idea. She was a re- religious family. <laughs> yeah, so she actually don't know a lot about her family. Okay. I do know that she was a quiet, pious child. Yes, as was, they tend to be. But she was also very strong-willed. As they tend to be. As they tend to be. From the age of 11, she knew she was going to be a nun. Good for her. Her father told her she was too young to know what she wanted, but also she was not too young to get married. Of course. Wait, she was 11. This was 13-something. Yeah. He promised her in marriage to the son of another wealthy family. She prayed that God would prevent this marriage until her confessor asked her, are you crying because you want to do God's will or because you want God to do your will? Ooh. Yeah. Smart priest, whoever that was. Heavy stuff for this (laughs) 11-year-old. Clearly this 11-year-old was ready for it. (laughs) She ended up reluctantly agreeing to the marriage. And it was difficult for the people around her to understand her objection to the marriage because her husband, Lorenzo, was known as a very good person and he really did care for her. Okay, but also was he dramatically older than her, probably? I didn't find an age for him, so I'm not certain. Okay, but she does get married. Yeah, she does. And actually the most difficult part of the marriage was her mother-in-law, Cecilia. Okay. Her mother-in-law loved to host parties and banquets, and this was torture for the shy Francis. Fair. Eventually, Francis collapsed from the stress of all of it. Oof. 
and for months she lay close to death, unable to eat, move, or speak. At her worst, she had a vision of St. Alexis, the son of a noble family who had run away to beg rather than marry. Okay. So she felt a, a kinship with him. Mm-hmm. He told her that God was giving her an important choice. Did she want to recover or not? Wow. More heavy stuff for this young young woman. Yeah, I think she was probably 13 or 14 at this point. Wow. Still very young. That's a lot. <laughs> she whispered, God's will is mine. And St. Alexis responded, then you will live to glorify his name. And she immediately recovered. There you go. Lorenzo became even more devoted to her after this scare. Mm-hmm. And he was also a little in awe of her because of all of this. Well, yes. <laughs> she, like, collapsed from party stress, had a vision of God, and then woke up miraculously cured. Yep. That'll do it. Unfortunately, her mother-in-law still expected her to entertain and to go on visits. Oh, no. And though she lived in a house with her husband, his parents, his brother, and his brother's family, she felt all alone because she couldn't relate to any of them. And one day, her sister-in-law, Venosa found her crying in the garden. Francis admitted that all she wanted was to give her life to the Lord. Surprisingly, Venosa said that's what she wanted, too. Oh my goodness! Best friends! <laughs> they did! They, be- <laughs> they became best friends. I love this. And Francis didn't expect this because Venosa seemed to enjoy the high society life. Okay. But they became very close friends, and they worked out a program of devout practices and services. Adorable. <laughs> and also, like, clearly, Venosa contains multitudes. Yeah. I like her. I want to know more about her. I do too. (laughs) But they decided that their obligations to their family came first. For Frances, that meant dressing up to her rank, making visits and receiving visits, and most importantly, doing it with a smile. All right. But the two friends went to mass together, visited prisons, served in hospitals, and set up a secret chapel in an abandoned tower of their palace where they played together. Casual abandoned chapel. (laughs) Yes casual playtime at the church that they invented (laughs) which is just very cute very cute because they're still teenagers yes (laughs) super devout 14 year olds with husbands whose best way to decompress is to hang out in the chapel they invented yes this is adorable but it wasn't fashionable for noble women to help the poor and people gossiped about the two girls Goodness, goodness. Cecilia was very embarrassed by all of this, and she yelled at her daughters-in-law to stop their spiritual practices. This didn't work, and Cecilia appealed to her sons, their husbands, but Lorenzo refused to interfere with Francis's charity. So good for him. He's a good guy. He's a good guy. When Francis was 16, Cecilia died, and she had to take over running the household. She was still not a fan of all of this society life, but she became known as an excellent administrator and a fair and pleasant employer. I could see that. I feel like if you're a person who likes to, like, minister to the poor and also is still figuring out how this whole, like, running a household thing, you're probably a pretty good boss. Yeah, she she seems great. Yeah. (laughs) During this time when she was running the household, a flood brought disease and famine to Rome. Francis gave orders that no one asking for alms would be turned away, and she and Venosa went out to the poor with corn, wine, oil, and clothing. But her father-in-law, because now he's the villain, of course, <laughs> was furious that she was giving away their supplies during a famine. A little fair. I mean, okay, reasonable, but also cruel. <laughs> he took away the keys to the granary and the wine cellar. This is where he gets, like, Disney villain. Just to make sure that she wouldn't have a chance to give away more, he sold off their extra corn and all but one cask of wine, leaving just enough for the family. Okay. That is very Disney villain. (laughs) 
So the, the two noble women, they went out into the streets to beg so that they would have something to give away to the poor. Okay, so they beg so they can give away what they've begged for. Yeah, because presumably the people who are giving them alms aren't that hard off, I guess. Sure. So finally, Frances was so desperate for food to give to the poor that she went to the now empty corn loft and sifted through the straw, searching for a few leftover kernels of corn. After she left, Lorenzo came in and was stunned to find the previously empty granary filled with corn. Of course! Miracles! <laughs> and Francis also drew wine out of their one cask to give away, until one day her father-in-law went down and found it empty and screamed at her for it. After saying a prayer, Francis led them back down into the cellar, and she turned the spigot on the empty cask and outflowed a wonderful wine. Of course! <laughs> Miracles! And these incidents converted both Lorenzo and her father-in-law. Great. Having her father-in-law and her husband completely on her side meant she could do what she always wanted. She sold her jewels and clothes and distributed money to the needy, and she started wearing a dress made of coarse green cloth. I like that it's green. Yeah. There's something about that that's just really sweet. I don't know. Sure. Nice. Yeah. She looked nice. While, while also being very... Simple. Yeah. Unfortunately... After all of this happened, she was starting to live her best life. Rome went to war. Okay. And she was left alone against the attackers because she sent Lorenzo off to avoid his capture. Okay. Because he was an important noble person in the town. Sure. And she could be like, I'm nobody. I'm just a woman in a green dress. Yeah. Mysterious. Dun dun dun. <laughs> but drunken invaders broke into her house and they tortured and killed her servants. They demolished the palace and smashed everything. Her son was kidnapped and taken to Naples, but this probably saved his life because soon a plague hit that took the lives of many, including Francis's other son. Okay. Um, at this point, house in ruins, husband gone, one son dead, one son hostage. You would expect her to have given up, but she looked around and she cleaned out the wreckage of the house and she turned the house into a makeshift hospital and a shelter for the homeless. Wow, she is awesome. Yeah, she's pretty good. <laughs> One year after the death of her son, he came to her in a vision and told her that her daughter was going to die too. In return, God was going to grant her a special grace by sending her an archangel to be her guardian angel for the rest of her life. She would always be able to see him wherever she was. and He would be a constant companion and spiritual advisor. Once he commanded her to stop her severe penances... <laughs> Of course. I see a theme here. <laughs> yeah, everybody's trying too hard. <laughs> extra. Just all of them are so extra. You want to know what her extreme penances were? Yes. Was it a hair shirt? It was a hair shirt. Of course it was. <laughs> and eating only bread and water. Okay. At least she was eating. At least she was eating. The angel told her, you should understand by now that God who made your body and gave it to your soul as a servant never intended that the spirit should ruin the flesh and returned it to him despoiled. Okay. That's a good justification. Yeah, that's nice. Yeah. So finally, wars were over, and the kidnapped son and her husband were able to return home. Great. The war was pretty rough on them, though, so she had to work a lot to help bring them back into society and mm -hmm. help them become people again. Yeah, for sure. But then, with Lorenzo's support and respect, Francis started a lay order of women attached to the Benedictines called the Oblates of Mary. Okay. The women lived in the world, but pledged to offer themselves to God and serve the poor. Kind of what she was doing the whole time. Yeah, but now she's put a title on it. Yeah. 
and eventually this community was able to buy a house where the widowed members could live in community. That's so sweet. Yeah. And Francis nursed Lorenzo until he died. His last words to her were, I feel as if my whole life has been one beautiful dream of purest happiness. God has given me so much in your love. Oh, Isn't Lorenzo sweet? He's so sweet. (laughs) After his death, Francis moved into the widow house. That makes sense. With the other oblates, and they made her superior. Of course. So at the age of 52, she finally had the life that she dreamed of when she was 11. Adorable. But unfortunately, it was not too long-lived. She died four years later. Her last words were, The angel has finished his task. He beckons me to follow him. What a sweet story. I know. Frances is lovely. She's such a delight. I will tell you about my connection to her after you guess what she is the patron of. Oh, this is the hard part. I was trying to think about it. Um, Is she the patron of, like, women who run households? I don't know what to call that. Yes. (laughs) One on this list is Roman housewives. Great. I'll take it. (laughs) What else is she the patron of? She is the patron against plague. Sure. For automobile drivers, okay. automobilists, okay. aviators, cab drivers, against the death of children, mm-hmm. for lay people, sure. for motorcyclists, for motorists, for people ridiculed for their piety, for pilots, Roman housewives, taxi drivers, widows, and women. Okay. So do you want to know why all of the driving? Please tell me about the driving because I had a question about that. This angel that was always there would kind of float in front of her and was like glowing and would guide her. Like headlights? Like headlights. So she had angel headlights. For, Amazing. For the, the later end of her life. Amazing. So my connection to Francis is my car is named Francis after this saint. That is the most Brian thing. <laughs> I love that. I call her Frankie. That makes sense. <laughs> what a great story. <laughs> Angel headlights. Yeah, exactly. You know, like you do. Like you do. (laughs) Well, thank you all so much for listening to us today. Uh, Like we mentioned, we do have a Facebook page now. You can go ahead and like us on Facebook. Either search the name of the show, Sunday School for Heathens, or go to facebook.com slash school number four heathens. There's a hilarious discussion about the baseball allegiances of Corey. There's also hopefully soon pictures of some pillars because there's some really good ones that Brian's going to post when this episode comes out. You can also tweet at us at school for heathens You can send us an email at sundayschoolforheathens at gmail.com. Thank you so much to Adam Griffin for his awesome music for the show. Check him out at alteringgravity.wordpress.com. And thank you so much to David Griffin for the art and for the editing. I know he appreciates the weird episodes almost as much as I do. And thank you all so much. Go ahead, like, rate, review on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. And amen. Amen. Go in peace to like and share the pod. Mm-hmm.